This is Physician to Physician Plant-Based Nutrition. I'm Tracy Cushing, an emergency medicine physician. I'm also a mom, a wife, four-time Ironman, and I've been plant-based for 11 years. And I'm Eden English. I'm an internal medicine physician, a hiker, a ski boarder, a mom, and I've been vegan for the last five years. We're passionate about helping other doctors learn the science behind plant-based eating so they can help their patients develop sustainable, healthy eating habits. Each episode, we're breaking down the science behind plant-based eating and answering the questions we know most doctors have and most patients ask. Welcome, Eden. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Tracy? I'm doing well. Why don't you tell me what you had for dinner last night? So last night, my husband made these stuffed peppers. They were phenomenal. They were stuffed red peppers with quinoa and beans and corn, and he made a vegan cheese sauce and a cilantro cream to go on top. So it probably took about 45 minutes for him to make them, a little longer than it takes to make our usual dinners, but so worth it. They were delicious. What'd you have, Tracy? Sounds very similar. We had stuffed sweet potatoes with quinoa and chickpeas that were roasted and some spinach on top with a tahini sauce. Very nice. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the climate footprint of our diet and how that sort of interacts with being whole food plant-based and veganism and some other um, tidbits you might want to know about where your food is coming from. I recently gave a lecture on this to the Wilderness Medical Society, and I thought some of the data was helpful for people in trying to make decisions about what they eat. Personally, for me, I became vegan because of animal ethics. It had nothing to do with the climate or my diet or anything of the sort, but I found it sort of hypocritical as more and more climate change science was in the news and folks were trying to sound the alarm, those same folks were often consuming industrial animal products. And industrial animal products are the second largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions after coal globally. And so if you're driving an electric car and you're yammering about climate and you reuse your bags at the grocery store, but then you buy dairy and meat from cows, you really are not reducing your carbon footprint at all. So it's really important to kind of know where that, that food comes from. And uh, my favorite article of all time is the, Lan the Eat Lancet Commission on global dietary health and the state of the planet. And what I love about that article is it not only highlights what we need to do to change our diets for the planet, but also for ourselves while feeding a planet of a projected 10 billion people. So it's a big problem. How are we going to feed 10 billion people a balanced diet with the resources that we have? And as it turns out, that's just kind of impossible to do with what we're eating right now. And we are projected on a very bad course to be increasing our calories and our meat consumption by 2050. And there's no chance that we will stay within the global greenhouse gas emission goals set forth by the UN because food production alone is going to supersede global warming limits, regardless of our coal burning and everything else. And a conclusion was that only by assuming reduced meat and dairy 
can we even possibly come close to those two degrees centigrade temperature limits set forth by the UN. So it's a big problem. I personally think, therefore, we need to look at the individual foods that we eat and kind of see what they are and what their effect is on the environment if your goal is to reduce your carbon footprint. And as it turns out, cows and dairy are by far the largest contributor to both emissions, to land use, and to water use of any food group at all. There's a nice slide in the Lancet article that shows you by food group what the carbon footprint basically of each food group is. And they go through meat, chicken, pork, eggs, and then they also cover nuts, soybeans, legumes. And it, it's pretty across the board that anything from a cow is the worst. And as you go down the line and cross over into vegetables and fruits, your carbon footprint of your diet decreases. Uh, and part of the reason this is such a big deal is because animals produce not just CO2, but also methane and nitrous oxide, which are much have much higher global warming potential than CO2 in the short term. So it's not just CO2 emissions that we need to care about. And the methane produced by cows actually has a much greater potential for global warming than, say, for example, the CO2 produced by cars in the short term. And in addition... We kill 80 billion animals a year for human consumption, and that's billion with a B. And uh, those animals eat around 80% of the world's soybeans and over 50% of the world's corn. So there's a lot of edible grains that are going to feed cows that are feeding much fewer humans. So if we just fed those grains to humans, we actually could feed a lot more people. In addition, to produce one kilogram of animal protein requires six kilograms of plant protein. So all those cow muscles that you are consuming and then breaking down into amino acids and rebuilding, you actually have a greater input for one kilogram of animal protein. It requires six kilograms of plant protein input, if that makes sense. Eden, what do you think about all that? And do you ever talk to your patients about that? Does this ever come up with anybody? It comes up a lot, not as often with my patients, though I do bring it up occasionally, um, especially if they are bringing up the the climate change and, you know, things like that and what they can do, because I completely agree, like for an individual, the single best thing we can do to affect climate change is switch from a knife to a fork, switch to a more plant-based diet. Um, we can, like you said, we should be driving electric cars. We should be using our reusable bags at the grocery store and limiting our single-use plastic and all of these other things. But as an individual, the biggest impact you can have is actually a dietary change. And I love all the facts that Tracy's putting out there because what I hear most commonly, and this isn't often a patient discussion, but in other discussions is, oh yeah, we should cut back on cows because of the cow farts. That's the problem. That is a problem. But there are so many other problems with industrial production of animals from the land use to the water resources used to the food that they're eating that we could feed directly to people to be more efficient. So it's really the whole package of how we process and abuse these animals in the process. Um, it is terrible for the environment and it's not at all sustainable. And like Tracy started with, the numbers are getting worse and worse for how much we're doing of this stuff. And we really, it's just not sustainable. We can't keep this up. So we need to look at other ways to eat. And the best thing is to cut out the cows, particularly the ruminants, but it's not just eating their flesh because to get dairy, 
you have to keep that cow. You have to feed the cow, grow it with the milk, the the feed. You have to have the land for it to graze. So it's terribly resource intensive to produce that dairy, not to mention the animal abuse that's involved. So I absolutely agree, Tracy. This is something that we need to look at more, not just as a health issue, but as one of the primary factors we need to change to sustain our planet. And while everybody likes to joke about cow farts, we're we're talking about almost 100 million metric tons of methane per year that's being spewed into the environment, which has a much higher global warming potential than CO2. So it's not just that they fart, it's that it's an actual climate crisis, the amount of methane that's being put out into the atmosphere by industrially produced ruminants. In addition, if you look at the fossil fuel inputs of foods, so one calorie of beef requires 57 calories of energy input to produce it versus one calorie of poultry is four calories of energy and one calorie of grain is 2.2 calories of energy input, right? So you're using 57 calories of energy to produce one calorie of beef. It's just not efficient in in any way. A couple other um, factoids about cows as well, right? Dairy production is the same. They produce as much methane as as cattle produced for meat, and in fact, more over the course of their lifetime because they live for longer. And so diets that replace beef with dairy really don't decrease their carbon footprint at all. And sadly, the most recent healthy guidelines update in the USDA guidelines replaced some red meat with dairy. And so in addition to being bad for your health, it's also equally as bad for the environment. And in the U.S. here, we eat about 9 billion animals a year, and our food production uses 50% of our total land and and accounts for about 17% of our fossil fuel consumption. Um, And the livestock eat seven times as much grain as the entire U.S. population. So if we stop feeding livestock today, we could feed 840 million people a year on a plant-based diet, which is like two and a half times the U.S. population if we just stopped feeding that those soybeans and cows or and corn to cows. Some other interesting things I came across in doing this research, there was an interesting study out of California, if you want to look at kind of homegrown proteins. And these numbers that I that I thought were quite striking were basically it was protein food sources and what their environmental costs were in California. And they chose kidney beans as the referent, as the reference food that had the lowest environmental footprint. And they compared it to almonds, eggs, chicken, and beef. And so to produce one kilogram of beef, it required 18 times as much land, 10 times as much water, and 12 times as much fertilizer as producing one kilogram of beans. And so if you just think about that, even just the water alone, right, droughts are going to become a huge issue with climate. And so water use in our diet is a huge issue. One other small takeaway from that study was that almonds had very poor water use, likely because they're being grown in an arid environment in California. So we're going to need to think about, as vegans, where do we get our high water use resources? And maybe California is not the greatest place to be growing almonds, but it's just something else to think about when you think about the carbon footprint of your food. Yes, if you give up meat and cow dairy, 
you're doing awesome. But for vegans, there are some issues that we need to think about as well in terms of where our food comes from. I think those are great call outs because I mean, when I switched to being vegan, it, almond milk was one of the first things I grabbed because I thought that's what we were supposed to do. And as you look at it, if you can shift to a different milk, that's better. It's not that eating a handful of almonds or having almonds in your salad is going to necessarily dry out California. It's more that we need to not use almonds as our primary source of all plant milks and all plant cheeses and all that stuff. So things like oat milk, hemp milk, those are great replacements. And I switched completely to oat milk now. It's great for baking. It does a lot of other great stuff. Um, so if you're worried about the resource intensiveness of some plant milks, there are options that are very good. But any of the options, including almond, is not as bad as getting your milk directly from the cows. Because that is so resource intensive that it just really takes more water than we can sustain. So almond's better than cow. But there are even better choices if you want to keep moving. And in regards to dairy, just some numbers, cow's milk has three times the greenhouse gas emissions and nine times more land use than any plant-based milk. But as you said, there are some differences. So almonds have water use issues. Coconut milk um, can sometimes be sourced from places that are causing tropical deforestation. Rice milk has a lot of water use and pretty low nutritional value. So I found that actually the best for environment and health were soy and oat milk. And those tend to have the greatest nutritional value as well as the lowest resource utilization of other things. So if you're looking to replace cow milk with something else, aim for soy or oat. And of course, drink almond milk occasionally if it's what you like, but nuts do have some, some issues as well. Another small point to bring up that I found interesting in looking at this was kind of ethics versus environment. So I know a lot of folks buy free range this or grass fed that and pasture based this. And we think it's nice. And we think there are these pastoral fields full of, you know, kindly raised animals that are then sacrificed humanely. And perhaps that's all true. But if you look at it strictly from a carbon footprint of food, free range and pasture-fed animals are actually much larger influence on the environment. They require much more land, obviously, because they can walk around, and they require a lot more water. So the things that make it cruel to industrially farm animals are ironically things that decrease the carbon footprint of those things. So you can't really make yourself feel better by saying you're eating free-range um, or pasture-fed animals. You should just not eat animals. Um, exactly. That, Don't make it a choice between free range animals and, you know, cooped up animals. There is a third choice. You cannot eat the animals. So that's what we're encouraging is it it's healthier and it's not going to hurt the environment. And you don't have to worry about those animals being locked in a cage to protect the environment. You can not eat them at all. Exactly. And I think that's Unfortunately, I, you know, I didn't want to be a Debbie Downer in the lecture and kind of depress everybody who was thinking they were making good choices. But this is the reality of where our food comes from. And I think fundamentally, as a vegan, knowing where your food comes from is what led a lot of us to making this choice, whether that was because we knew it was wrecking the environment or because we knew it was cruel to the animals. And so we just have to know where our food comes from. 
as far as meat substitutes, which many vegans like, and I certainly eat, we've already talked about their health benefits, but strictly from a life cycle assessment in terms of their environmental footprint, it's not even close. Strictly from a life cycle assessment perspective, a Beyond Burger emits 90% less greenhouse gas emissions, uses 99% less water, and 93% less land than a U.S.-made beef burger. So there's just absolutely no comparison between the environmental footprint of meat substitutes versus actual meat from any animal source. I know we don't talk about that a lot during these podcasts, but the animal ethics are a big thing for a lot of your patients, and that might be one of the reasons that they went vegan. So just keep it in mind that it really, switching to a plant-based diet fixes the environmental impact hugely. It definitely takes away the animal ethics impact, and it's incredible for your health. So all the reasons together. And and a few other issues, whether... COVID-19 actually came from a meat market or not kind of remains to be proven, but we clearly know that one in six Americans gets food poisoning every year, largely from salmonella, and that our food supply is responsible for a lot of that. In addition, as physicians, we should all care that the single largest use of antibiotics in this country is in factory farmed animals, not in humans. And we are almost certainly breeding antibiotic resistance and superbugs that we are not going to have the tools to treat because we are treating animals with antibiotics instead of humans. Um, And then finally, it was pretty clear during COVID that one of the highest risk occupations is being a food supply plant or a meatpacking plant worker in the US. And that was known to be very, very dangerous before COVID, which kind of pulled back the curtain on just how terrible working conditions can be in those environments. But it's just another reason not to consume animal products because the human working conditions in those places are often almost as terrible as the animal conditions. So I think if you care about the environment, if you're driving a Tesla, if you are trying to do all the right things, That's awesome, but just know that your food choices can be a huge contributor to your carbon footprint, and it's worth knowing what the effect is of the food choices you're making. Couldn't agree more. And you brought up a couple of really great points too. The antibiotics is huge for me. I mean, I'm in primary care and I spend time counseling people that they don't need antibiotics for sinus infections and things like that, that we used to treat for. And it's such a small percentage of the antibiotic use to decrease that one patient's antibiotic prescription. And just want to clarify for people, it's not, if you take an antibiotic, you make yourself resistant to that antibiotic. It's a global populational phenomenon where If we give antibiotics, we create that resistant bacteria, which is then sent back into the environment. So it's not that we're making cows that are resistant to antibiotics. We're making all the bacteria in the U.S. resistant to the antibiotics that we're pumping into these animals. So we really need to cut that down. And I know people love to buy the no antibiotics for the chicken or for the cows, which helps a tiny bit. But those antibiotics are still being given to the factory farmed animals, creating the resistant bacteria that's out in the population. So we really have to stop doing it altogether. But when you put a ton of animals into a small space, they don't do well without antibiotics because the infection risk is so high. So it's not something that's really easy to fix unless 
we stop putting animals into confined spaces. And the reason you have to give those antibiotics is because they breed disease. And Tracy mentioned COVID, which we don't know exactly that that came from a wet market, but we know that a lot of zoonotic diseases over time have come from chicken farms. I mean, we have swine flu, we have bird flu. These come from packing animals together in confined spaces over time. They spread quickly. They end up often culling the whole farm, which has a lot of ethical implications, but usually that doesn't fix it. That might help control it, but it's usually spread beyond there. And then she mentioned the working environments, which are tragic for a lot of these people. There's tons of PTSD for people that have worked in industrial um, animal factories. After that, they have PTSD from the practices that go on in the places themselves for a number of reasons. We need to look at alternatives for how we feed such a big population, and plants are a great answer. Another thing I love about that Lancet article is that they do address third world countries, developing countries, places where you can't just go buy a Beyond Burger, and how there may continue to be a role for the small consumption of animals such as goats and you know individual family farms in places where that may be required for dietary needs. But that is largely not the world that we are talking about. And in de- the developed world, we consume entirely too much protein, entirely too many calories, way too much sugar, and way too many animals. So we do not need to keep eating animals for any nutritional reason. We certainly don't need it for our health. and We definitely don't need it for the environment. And so a couple of things that, that you can do um, to kind of change, you know, try to buy as much locally produced food as possible. If there's a farm share or a CSA or something in your area, also don't forget the transportation costs, right? I love avocados, but getting here from Mexico is a huge carbon footprint for avocados. And so maybe I need to think about eating them less, eating them more seasonally, and really trying to make use of what's available in my area. Talking to patients again about what they eat, and this probably doesn't come up a whole lot in terms of carbon footprint. I don't know that it's come up a bunch with my patients, but you never know. Sometimes folks are open to that message if they're not open to it for other reasons. Um, And then finally, I really like Cowspiracy and Rotten as two documentaries that I think really highlight some of these issues and that I would suggest you watch if you are interested in learning more about the carbon footprint of your food. I loved both of those. They were great and just really eye-opening, even for me. And I've watched a bunch of vegan documentaries. So every time I watch another one, they have more points and more facts and more salient details for why this is so important. And, and Tracy mentioned the family farms, and those are great where they exist. But I think we can all agree that that is not where we're getting most of our food. Um, it's not a small family farm anymore, and you're not you're not getting your dairy from you know a family farm where a guy's sitting on a stool under a cow milking that one cow that's been in his family for years. That's just not what we do anymore. So we really need to be honest with ourselves about how our food is prepared. What the cost of preparing that food is before we just dive into another burger because it's easy and convenient. I want to mention, I got some interesting comments when I gave my lecture, one from a a small dairy farmer and another from a large consumer of, of beef. And 
what I wanted to really hammer home was number one, it's not the small family farms that are the problem here in terms of carbon footprint, right? So if you do happen to get your milk from a local farm in a glass bottle where they drive it out to you, that's a lot better than if you are buying it at the grocery store for sure in terms of probably the cow's life and in terms of the carbon footprint of the milk. But we do need to recognize there are a lot of farmers in this country and we can't just tell them all, stop doing what you're doing. And one thing I love about uh, Miyoko's brand is that she is trying to teach far dairy farmers specifically how to make nut-based dairy, right? So it's not enough for us to just come and say, stop doing all of this. Wouldn't it be great if we could turn, turn every industrial farm into a Beyond Meat plant, right? But we have to teach people not just don't do this, but what can you replace it with that's healthy and sustainable and will make you a living, right? Because there are farmers that depend on what we eat to be sustainable. So we want to make sure that we change what we're eating while we bring our farmers along with us because it's better for the environment and because they can be sustained making a living as well. Like it or not, climate change is going to affect what we eat. We simply don't have the land and the water to keep that many animals on this planet. We just don't. And whether we choose to give them up and develop new farming systems and food choices or whether we're forced to by droughts and the fact that we won't be able to grow certain foods in certain places anymore, we're going to have to change what we eat. So I would suggest that we all get on board with doing it in a thoughtful and healthy way for the whole planet that's sustainable until we're forced to do so by unavoidable climate catastrophe. This is Tracy and Eden signing off. Less meat means less disease. Go have a happy plant-based day. 